Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. It's a full week on the show, so I'm going to get right to it. The housing market has been nothing short of a hot mess lately, and many potential buyers feel they may be shut out completely. May Kadir from Loans Canada has some advice. May is dedicated to sharing educational pieces that makes financial knowledge and debt management accessible to all especially for Millennials and Gen Z. She joins me to discuss the current housing market and some options for potential buyers looking to get into their own home. Tanya Hales is an award-winning creative who has built movements through her online global village of almost 30,000 at Black Moms Connection. She makes DEI work real and relatable through her firm Color in White Spaces, and she is a thought leader on Black motherhood, recently doing a TEDx Toronto talk on that very subject. She joins me to discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of social media. It's a bit of a slow week in entertainment, but leave it to Anne Brody to pull out the gems for us, including Fire of Love, which tells the story of husband and wife volcanologists Katja and Maurice Kraft, whose love couldn't have been more Shakespearean. From one form of nature to another, Sharkfest is back for its 10th season, and our collective obsession with sharks continues. And finally, Ethan Hawke has a six-part documentary called The Last Movie Stars, which takes a close look at Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Traveling solo as a woman can be scary, which is why Carolyn Ray is joining me for this show to help you tackle your fears and do a little ground-truthing in destination. Carolyn just returned from four months in Mexico and shares what she learned while on the ground there. The squeeze continues at the grocery store, and most Canadians are looking for creative ways to feed the family while not breaking the bank. Andrea Bucket is known for sharing practical cooking tips and kitchen prowess along with easy recipes. She is here today to share some of her best tips. Finally, with heat temperatures being set around the globe right now, I thought it might be a good time to re-air an interview with Tara McKenna from the Zero Waste Collective. Tara's book, Don't Be Trashy, takes readers through reducing your waste month by month, which includes a no-buy month, an outfit repeater month devoted to developing a sustainable capsule wardrobe, and a month devoted to decluttering and minimalism at home. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Regent. Whether you've been in the housing market as a buyer or seller or simply watching from the sidelines over the last couple of years, you know that real estate has been on a wild ride. May Kadir is the content strategist for Loans Canada, Canada's first loan comparison platform, and is dedicated to sharing educational pieces that make financial knowledge and debt management accessible to all, especially for millennials and Gen Z. With another jump in interest rates this month and more expected to come, many are worried their housing dreams may be squashed, but May is here today to say that simply isn't so and joins me to share some options for opting into the housing market. Welcome to the show, May. 
Hi, Candace. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. So this has got to be super stressful for, for the younger generation. And I can see why. I mean, previously the homes were overpriced and the interest rates were low. Now home prices are falling, but the interest rates are rising. So if you find yourself in this predicament, let's talk about some of the things you can do. For sure. Uh, I think that to go into it, we have to understand what's making people stressed out. And well, understandably, record high inflation is making it extremely difficult for all Canadians to manage their budgets and save for the future. But especially millennials and then said who are now at the point in their life where they're thinking of their future and also considering investing in property. In general, many millennials following the pandemic were extremely optimistic to start their lives and career once again. However, with the current economic climate and rising rates, there's uncertainties facing us and the ability to start a life and the ability to have a home right now. So many are wondering if this is to be, even begin with, if it's the right time to invest in their futures. So to kind of shorten the answer, the Bank of Canada's increase has caused an abrupt turn in the market, meaning that because buyers find themselves unable to secure financing, it's resulted in sales of homes falling by 5.6% on a monthly basis uh, by July of this year even. So even though low prices of homes are kind of tempting, it doesn't always necessarily indicate that housing will become more affordable. However, there are many of other uh, avenues to look forward to if you're trying to finance a mortgage. The thing is that with the hike of the national interest rate, it affects people's ability to borrow and possibly making mortgages more pricey. So how you can kind of see this is that rising rates also cause economic growth to slow down. And in turn, this leads to higher unemployment and less wage growth. Growth. So coupled with higher mortgage rates means that accessing home ownership is actually quite challenging, especially for some millennials who may not have large savings to fall back on or those who are self-employed. Equally, rising rates increase the cost of construction and renovation, mainly due to increased financing costs due to inflation as well. So to answer the question of, is this a bad time to invest in the house? Not necessarily. It might seem like it's just everything falling down for some millennials, but there are other ways. But I think that what's important is that millennials and Gen Z that want to be get that want to invest in a house right now need to consider factors that could ultimately end up putting them in under financial strain if they aren't considering a whole bunch of other stuff like their own budget. What expenses do they already have and other financial capabilities and responsibilities in the wrong, long run? So one of the things to consider is if they have student loans, because variable, student loans are actually variable rate loans. So it ends up being affected by in, interest rates increases. So another thing is that do you have a car? Do you know, like, is your car about to break down, did you think about getting a new car or are you looking to refinance a car loan that you already had? So the thing to focus on is more about other financial responsibilities that might come up in the long run that is not directly affected, uh, that's not directly uh, correlated with your mortgage, but will end up in kind of influencing your financial capabilities. So I think that Yes, housing prices are down, but high interest rates also affect other forms of credit. So 
basically considering all types of financial liabilities, which could end up costing them more, is something that is extremely crucial. So the other part of this, now that we're actually getting into mortgages and houses, is how millennials can manage rising interest rates and debt. And what we usually at Loans Canada, what we recommend is that in order to curb the stress of debt and rising interest rates, there are some things that you can do. One of them starts with if uh, like starts with reviewing your loan terms, basically taking the time to understand the terms, what kind of interest rates you're looking at, repayment expectations of your loans, basically just getting a clear idea of what you're walking into. The second thing is paying down high interest debt that you might already have which could include things like student loans and car loans that I mentioned earlier. So focus on paying down high interest debt first. The reason for this is that if you have no high interest debts, then if you have high interest debts, then your interest rate will basically be even more expensive. So in order to manage your finances in the future, you want to take care of what's what's, uh, filling up your plate right now. So lowering your debt will reduce the amount of interest you have to pay. And in general, it'll reduce the amount of financial liabilities that you have. The other thing is having your, what we say, your financial house in order. So keep yourself up to date with your credit score and your budget. If you can save a few dollars each week or month, it can help protect you against a lot of unexpected expenses. And that way you won't have to rely on any other credit products. And afterwards, if you're really wanting to get a house, there's a whole bunch of things that you can do. And at Loans Canada, we have more information. But some of the stuff that you can do is get a home buyer's plan through your RSP. So the Home Buyers Plan is a program for first-time home buyers that allows you to withdraw funds from your registered retirement saving plans to buy or build a qualifying home for yourself. And usually your RSP issuer will not withhold tax on withdrawn amounts of $35,000 or less. And it's also tax-free. So it's a really good way to help you finance to buy a house in this kind of market. The other one way to go about is rent-to-own. You can work with a rent-to-own company or a new program that was actually announced by the government in their April 2022 financial plan. And what that does is that it actually makes it a lot more accessible to put money down for a house because you basically pay a monthly rent and typically a portion of your rent payment goes towards your eventual down payment as well. So some other ways is also co-ownership and co-signing. Co-ownership meaning Friends and family can choose to purchase a home together. You don't need to be married or a common law couple. And this is actually a really great alternative if you and your friend are super close and you and you both wanted to get a house, but maybe it's not very possible. So that's a really great way of going about it. The other way co-signing is different from co-ownership and works best for people who don't have great credit. So you can ask a friend or a family member to co-sign your mortgage. And by co-signing a mortgage, the person is agreeing to cover the buyer's loan if they default or are unable to afford their payments. So the co-signer wouldn't see any typical benefits of the mortgage, but you uh, would be able to basically afford a mortgage if you're not in the best financial capability to do so alone. You have so much information here. My head is spinning, but I think it's so fantastic that you have all of this. Are you seeing a rise? Do you think there will be a rise in co-ownership? Because it seems like 
sort of the way to go for young single millennials and Gen Z uh, people who want to purchase a home? Well, for sure. I think that a lot of uh, millennials and Gen Z that did end up uh, living in larger cities like Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver for university were probably renting a apartment to begin with. So it's not a concept that I would say is too foreign. Definitely not something that maybe we've seen beforehand, but this definitely could be a trend with how the economy is going right now. And again, it's really a great way of investing in something in the future without having the full financial obligation to have it all be by yourself right now. May, sorry, this has been incredible. You've had so much information. Uh, I think we're going to have to have you back again. But for now, uh, I want people to be able to find you and find all of this information as well that you shared with me. So where can they go? For sure. We actually on loanscanada.ca, we have a great financial hub. So if you have any questions from interest rates to mortgages to personal finance, debt management, anything that you need answered, you can find it. So loanscanada.ca. Okay. And all your social channels, I assume, are listed there as well? Exactly. Perfect. Okay. May, thank you so much. You were, you were wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us on. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Tanya Hales is one of my favorite humans I've ever met through this show. She is an award-winning creative who has built movements through her online global village of almost 30,000 at Black Moms Connection. She makes DEI work real and relatable through her firm Color in White Spaces, and she is a thought leader on Black motherhood, recently doing a TEDx Toronto talk on the same subject. Tanya brings her fresh brand of authenticity everywhere she goes using the power of storytelling to change the world, and I'm so pleased she agreed to join me today. Welcome back to the show, Tanya. Hi. I, you know what? I didn't even have a, I just wanted you on the show. I just saw your tweet go by and I thought, I'm just going to invite her back because I love her. And so <laughs> it's been too long. So let's talk about social media today because I think this is a space that you have some really great um, perspective on. So um, why don't we start about it being either a great tool or a great weapon? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of column A, it's a little bit of column B. It, it depends on the platform. It depends on how you've curated, you know, who you follow and what you give attention to, right? So Twitter is what I call my digital playground. It could be the wild, wild west. It, it Conversations can go left really, really quickly there. Um, but I'm entertained. I'm educated. I'm informed. It's a, it's a, it's a cornucopia. Right. I'm not on TikTok. I, I leave that for more adventurous folks. But I know that the algorithm there is very much like, oh, you've watched this thing about cats, all cat, everything, which is great. You know, and I think we do need to curate spaces like that. We talk about setting boundaries and protecting your peace, but that's one way to do it. You can't complain about the things that come across your feed if that's not who you're following, you know, and I think about social revolutions, um, you know, think like seeing right now in real time the protests in Sri Lanka or 
you know, back in the day when we saw what was going on in Egypt and and how they were able to tell protesters, hey, this is how you, you know, tear gas, here's how you fix it. And I'm just like, this is this is insane. You know, 20 years ago, someone in Egypt, a protester in Egypt wouldn't have been able to tell a protester in Minnesota how to deal with tear gas, you know, and and so it it has it has been a great unifier. It's given voice to people who have generally been voiceless. However, you know, the problem is that it gives everybody a voice and a platform and, and some people who don't deserve it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that frustrates me about being in social media is that, you know, and we talked about this prior to this interview, was that, you know, uh, you can put out a snippet of information and you are judged and canceled and attacked and you know there's no there's no context really around that so it's how do you how do you protect your space because you know you must see stuff all the time that goes flying by on your feed you know and and without a lot of context in that one little thing how do you how do you not I guess I don't love this word but get triggered I studied sociology and criminology, so I, I, I have a, a background in needing to do research to prove my argument. <laughs> and so I take that with me when I'm on socials. But I also recognize that not everyone is on socials to engage the same way, right? If you're, if someone tweets, you can tell who's a troll and who's genuinely asking, you know, because usually for me, when I'm just like, I'm really curious, I'm genuinely curious, I will type that word genuinely curious. And I know I could go to Google, but sometimes Google is more overwhelming and you also don't know the source. So sometimes I use, you know, real people to explain to me something. Um, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I think, in, you know, the, the easiest way to protect is just like right off the bat, especially on Twitter, just mute right away. Rep have Reply and then mute the conversation so that you're not getting those notifications. Um, when you see a tweet that gets you so riled up and angry before I, I quote tweet them and, and amplify them onto my page or get into an argument with them, I just block them right off the bat so that I'm not tempted to engage. I have last word itis. I believe that I want to always have the last word in an argument, but you can't with those kinds of people. So you just have to take a step back. And if it means literally just closing the app and like going to do something else, then do so for sure. You have you have a community, an online community of 30,000 members. I mean, that must be very hard to manage as well. <laughs> yes. Um, so first of all, always shout out to my admins. I call them the ninjas. Um, they're the ones who do the approvals, are looking through the posts when a conversation goes left. And I'll say this as we're talking about social media. It doesn't take much. It doesn't have to be a hot topic like abortion. It could literally just be about bread. Like it, it, it really just depends because people are living with so much right now and it's so easy to vent or misinterpret whether on purpose or by accident someone else's words. You can't detect tone through online text, especially of a stranger. So then people are just like, I thought you were, you know, insulting my mama. And it's just like, no, I was just asking a question. Um, so I, I think it's really important to, you know, we are, we're an online global space and we're a safe space for black women to connect and we're not a monolith. We don't see everything the same way. We're raised differently. We live in different parts of the world. It's a global village. Um, but there's certain things that are just like understood that, Hey, this crosses a line. 
we're not going to approve it. We're not going to let you render this space unsafe for somebody else. That's really for us, you know, that's our, our pillar and that's what we stand by. And that's why we grow and why people love our communities because we believe like, hey, as long as you're a black woman who someone has called love, however you came to your motherhood journey, how late you came, how early you came, it doesn't matter. Your marital status, I don't care. Your religion, don't care. Are you a black woman and someone wishes you a happy Mother's Day? This is a space for you. Um, but you don't get to look down on other people or you don't get to, you know, classify, you know, and create a hierarchy within it because we all have the same difficulties regardless of all of our differences. That's incredible. And I, I, I just applaud that you have built such a, a wonderfully supportive space. I think it's, incre it's incredible. And I want people to be able to connect with you, find you online, tweet back with you. Uh, so where can they do all of that, Tanya? Yeah, so you can find me at TanyaHales.com on Twitter, being sassy, Tanya Hales, or Instagram, the Tanya Hales, uh, BlackMomsConnection.com on all of the platforms and all the socials. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. To the bride. To the bride. To the bride. From your It's a bit of a slow week in entertainment this week, but that doesn't mean Anne Brody hasn't been hard at work picking out the best of the best for us, starting with Fire of Love this week. Tell me all about it, Anne. I've got to tell you something. This is one of the most startling documentaries I've seen in a long while. It concerns uh, German volcanologist Katja and Morris Kraft. Um, they met in 66 and spent 20 years following volcanoes around the world to watch them erupt. And I mean, they gathered all kinds of important scientific information and lava samples and, and, and endless film footage and photographs. Um, but they, they, be, they fell in love with volcanoes and they, they couldn't be around people. <laughs> so they would live on volcano sites around the world. I mean, it's no uh, spoiler to say that um, in 1991, they went to Japan to see Mount Unzen. Now, when a volcano is about to erupt, it smells, it stinks, it's putrid, and the earth shakes um, and the skies shift. So they knew something was happening and they went immediately there, got incredible footage of this magma flowing down the mountain towards them. And guess what? <laughs> it, it's a Shakespearean ending if I ever saw one in my life just stunning and you have to ask yourself why they did that did they plan to do that but it's one of the most remarkable stories of of a, a love triangle between these two and the and the volcanoes it's well worth seeing and it's in theaters it's it's interesting to me because as humans we seem to be obsessed with dangerous things because we're moving from from volcanoes to sharks this week, and we're going to talk about Shark Fest on National Geographic. Why? Why do we love sharks? I personally, I'm not attracted to that kind of thing, but why do people need to be that close to danger like the crafts? It's, it's astonishing to me. If you remember the, the Sharknado TV specials, there were six of them, six, and they were fictionalized. But Shark Fest, now on National Geographic, travels to 15 or uh, sorry um more than that like 20 countries around the world 
to look at 15 different species of sharks to see what they're up to. And of course, there are all these juveniles closing in on the uh, American Northeast coast. So it's, it's concerning, you know, and if people want to get close to get footage, I mean, for heaven's sakes, what, what gives? Well, you know, it's funny because I think about it and I think this is an apex predator and they're just, they're going to eat anything. And, but as their food source is dwindling in the ocean, uh, I think we may hear more and more interactions between sharks and humans, unfortunately. Uh, not something I would hope for, but uh, unfortunately, it may be a side effect of climate change. Uh, let's talk about The Last Movie Stars, which is something a little bit sweeter. It's very sweet. It concerns a real love affair with real movie stars, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Um, I don't, you know, it makes you think, are they the last stars? I mean, are stars today as uh, dominant and important as they were back in their day? Anyway, Ethan Hawke has produced this uh, six-part um, documentary, all done on Zoom, speaking to people like Newman's daughter from his first marriage uh, that ended in tragedy when he fell in love with Joanne Woodward. And he just left the woman and her three children um, because he was so enchanted by Woodward. And I mean, they remained married for decades afterwards. And it was always electric between them as people you know, uh, people close to them would say. Uh, there's interviews with Sally Field, Melanie Griffith, Gore Vidal, Sidney Pollock, tons of people. And of course, George Clooney provides the voice of Paul Newman when they provide uh, narration. Uh, but it really is a love story. And I got to say that Ethan Hawke's enthusiasm is so contagious. It's fun just to watch it for him. But um, and also I learned that uh, James Dean and Paul Newman hung around a lot and there was a lot of talk about them. Um, but Marlon Brando threatened him. He felt very, very threatened by Marlon Brando. And that's not something you would associate with Paul Newman being the alpha star that he that he was. I have to say my mother was obsessed with Paul Newman, uh, just loved him uh you know and it was funny to see my mom all a flutter about a star because that just was not her character but she loved paul newman so i'll watch this for sure um you also have a review coming up on what she said talk about nope just quickly can you give us an overview of what that's about yeah yeah well it's jordan peele this groundbreaking director who was a comedian for heaven's sakes he did get out and us and now he's doing nope which is set in inland California. Daniel Kaluuya stars in it, and it's set in a farm. My review will be up on the site now, um, and it uh, revamps the way we think about horror. So I think it's going to be huge. All right. Well, Get Out was, so I'm sure Nope will be as well. And thanks so much for everything this week. We'll see you again next week, because I know you have a really crazy week coming up next week with new entertainment. Crammed, Candace. Crammed. Okay, thanks so much, Ann. All righty. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region.
getting creative in the kitchen is pretty mandatory anymore as food prices continue to soar and people across Canada are looking for ways to keep their family fed on a shoestring budget. Andrea Bucket, thankfully, is in our corner. Known for sharing practical cooking tips and kitchen prowess, along with easy recipes with dynamite flavor to help combat mealtime boredom, Andrea is regularly featured as a food expert on television, social media, in print, and on the web. She joins me now with some tips for eating well on a dime. Okay, a dollar. Welcome to what she said, Andrea. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, I know you must be feeling the pinch at the grocery store. I know I am. Uh, And it's completely altered how I plan my meals. How are you doing it right now? Yeah, it's it's hard when you work in the space because, of course, food is my business and I have to go to the grocery store and buy ingredients for recipe testing for clients and creating content. And it is, I am feeling the pinch. Uh, I've always sort of leaned towards because I cook for a living, you know, cooking from scratch is always the way to save money. But I know not everybody has the same comfort level in the kitchen. So I have a few tricks and tips that uh, we'll share with you today. Amazing, because I'm sure we could all use them. And I love how, you know, we, we, we shared some notes back and forth prior to and you said determine what's more important to you time or money. So do you want to elaborate on that one a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of products that you buy in the store that are sort of what I call added value products, so salad kits, or uh, produce that has been chopped up, have a more expensive price tag because more work have gone has gone into producing them. So if you're somebody you know, who works a lot outside the home or even inside the home, and perhaps you don't, you're willing to trade some time for money, you can save a lot of money by simply not purchasing those type of products. I know it's easy to open up a salad bag and dump it into a bowl and add chicken breast and you have dinner. But if you're willing to chop up, you know, some head lettuce or some romaine lettuce and add some fresh seasonal veg in there, you can save quite a bit of money. So convenience always costs more in the grocery store. When it comes to having a basic sort of pantry or things to work with, you know, do you do you uh, recommend that? Yes, a hundred percent. So uh, we and I, you know we saw this definitely over the last two years, people cooking more at home from scratch, and the rules sort of always stay the same for saving money on groceries, whether we're uh, going through you know difficult economic times or whether uh, the price of groceries are just higher, and that is really to try to stick to basics. So fruits and vegetables in their whole form, um, you know, proteins. We tend to reach for proteins that are like high muscle meat protein. So chicken breasts and like uh, New York strip steaks. If you can steer away and buy cuts of meat, they're a little bit less. uh, They take a little bit longer to cook, maybe a little bit more skill in the kitchen to um, make delicious. Then you're going to save money. And then, of course, the pantry staples um, like beans and pasta and rice and even things like frozen veggies that you can keep in your freezer really do go a long way to allowing you to create a delicious meal every night of the week. So sticking with those staples uh, is a really important thing. And do you routinely rely on yourself when, you know, for your family, I know you're cooking all the time, but do you have sort of basic recipes that you fall back on all the time? I'm a big, like one of the standard recipes in our, like sheet pan meals are a no brainer, right? Because you can pop them in the oven. It's one sheet pan. It's all cooked at the same time. Uh, So for that, I I love sheet pan meals. 
I really think that um, in the summer, people forget to use things like slow cookers. You know, we think of them as a winter appliance, but using a slow cooker in the summer, also for people that, you know, have children or are on the go, you can do breakfast, you can do lunch, you can do dinner in them. And so you can take advantage of those perhaps uh, cuts of meat that take a little bit longer to cook. So anything that's done in a slow cooker uh, is a great thing. Now, I know people get tired because slow cooker meals can tend to taste the same if you eat a lot of them. But even if you did that once a week, um, you know, you you save yourself a lot of work in the kitchen. And like I said, you could really tap into those uh, less, um, lesser desirable proteins. I feel like I have to drive home the point jump on those leftovers too, right? Like do not dismiss the the beauty of leftovers. I am, I love leftovers, but I know it's not for everybody. You know what? I'm a huge fan of leftovers. And I actually, I have this um, one, two, three sort of rule where I take one ingredient. I got to remember, remember how I did this now. Um, I take one ingredient and double up on it three times a week. So uh, one of those nights you might double up on your protein. So you double up on your chicken. One of those nights you might double up on, you know, quinoa or rice or pasta. And then the third night you might double up on veggies. And so throughout the week, you end up having all these building blocks to create, you know, in the summer, we like power bowls or something cold. You can throw protein and, and veg and, um, you know, a whole grain into a bowl, put a salad dressing on it and and call it a meal. And I think that's really how a lot of us are are eating and trying to get down that grocery cost because of course throwing out food means you have higher grocery costs and I think a lot of people forget forget that so always looking in your pantry to make sure that you're using up what you have on hand before going to the grocery store to purchase more so quickly before we leave then I, I'd, I'd really like to hear your thoughts on organic and non-gmo products right now is this something we should be spending our money on or Yeah. So, I mean, when I was a young mom, I definitely, you know, thought I had to feed my kids organic and thought I had to go non-GMO, but I took a, I've taken a lot of time over the last, you know, five or six years to really do a deep dive. And the concern I have is that a, those labels don't really tell us anything about the nutrition or the safety of food. So non-organic foods or foods that don't have the non-GMO label are completely safe, completely healthy to feed your family. I never want you know, parents to feel like they're giving their children less nutritious food because they opt not to buy those or they're not in a situation where they can afford them. It's great that we have that option, but I will bring a point home, which is, you know, there's only so many foods in Canada that are grown for um, GMOs. So if you have a label on something like pasta, for instance, wheat pasta, and it says non-GMO, first of all, you're paying for that label, right? So the cost of that product is more because the company has to pay to put that logo on there. But secondly, wheat is not grown using GMOs for human consumption. So it doesn't even make sense to put a label like that on something. It's sort of like greenwashing or health washing, if you will, where they put it on the product because people think they're getting a better product, but they're really not. So when you're trying to save money, I would just say steer clear of um, those sort of claims because they're not always what you think they are. Yeah, it's like saying apples are gluten-free. They've always been (laughs) gluten-free. Yes, exactly. Precisely. Or potato chips are cholesterol-free, right? I mean, cholesterol comes from animal sources, and typically potatoes are not an animal source, and they're fried typically in vegetable oils. So, yeah, so you really, it's really hard for the consumer to be uh, savvy because there's so much information and misinformation out there. But just doing a little digging, you can, um, you know, also help your budget there. 
All right. Incredible. This has been great. Uh, I really, I'm so glad that you were able to join me today. So I want people to be able to follow along. You're always sharing fantastic advice. So where's the best place for them to do that? I'm on all the social media platforms at Andrea Bucket Cooks. So Instagram, I share lots of great videos and recipes and tips and everyone can find me there. All right. Incredible. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you, Candice. comes to travel, women are often held back from heading out on their own by fear. Fear of being lonely, fear for their safety, or fear of the unknown. Carolyn Ray believes that anything is possible when you set your intention and follow your intuition. After 25 years in consulting, she gave it all up and she committed to traveling full-time after a transformative trip to Kenya with her daughter in 2018. The following year, through a series of coincidences, she became the owner of Journey Woman, the beloved women's solo travel publication founded in 1994 to empower women with travel as a shared passion. She joins me today to discuss ground truthing. Welcome back to what she said, Carolyn. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here, Candace. So I've never heard of this term before. So what is ground truthing? So it's something that I've heard a few months ago. One of our advisory council members, Tanya Fitz. Gerald was talking about it on a community call that we had. And it's the whole idea of kind of not buying into the media hype around a destination and going yourself to find out your own truth, which I think is really interesting because we're living in such a world of misinformation. And, you know, we often just read the headline, um, which creates, which can create a lot of fear, especially when you're talking about destinations like Mexico or other places around the world. So I think the whole idea of getting out there, you know, kind of trusting your own instincts and your intuition, but really being curious and asking questions and finding out for yourself is a wonderful way to travel. Yeah, we often get caught up in the headlines and then define an entire country by that headline. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's interesting that you just came back from Mexico, which sometimes gets a bad rap. I mean, let's face it, the headlines can be scary. So tell me about your experience in Mexico. So I've spent four of the last six months living in Mexico, and I deliberately didn't go to touristy places. I wanted to discover a different part of Mexico. So I've been to Cancun and Tulum and all the places that um, that we've all been, you know, at various points in our lives. I wanted to go down and experience Day of the Dead, which I did in October uh, at San Miguel de Allende. And then I spent a few weeks there. And then I went to uh, Puerto Escondido, which is um, a beach community um, on the uh, on the west side of Mexico. And then I spent about three months in Merida, which is on the other side of Mexico in the Yucatan. And then I just came back from six weeks in Huaca, which is, um, again, kind of in central Mexico, but in the southern part. So all of these places were were just um, just beautiful places to be. And, you know, when I first went down at the end of October, we were still in the pandemic. But this goes back to kind of following your intuition is is, um, uh, you know, making sure that um that you trust yourself enough that 
that you go somewhere and you follow your dreams and you go to the places that you want to go to. So I wanted to find out for myself what was Mexico really like. I didn't think I could stay home any longer uh, because I do love travel. And as a result of that, I had some amazing experiences. So you lived, worked and played in, in Mexico for four months. What were sort of the key learnings you walked away from? spending so much time there? Well, I really discovered, um, you know, at, at that time, so if I take, if you go back to November, December, um, here in Canada, there was a lot of anxiety around, um, around COVID and rightly so. In Mexico, it just felt a little different to be removed from that, but we were still all wearing masks. And in fact, the, the cleanliness, um, uh, protocols were a lot more stringent. I think even even now, five weeks ago when I was there, people are still wearing masks. They're still hand washing. There's sanitizer. Um, there's the mats on the floor. You know, we're not even seeing that right now in Toronto, right? Unless you opt into those things. So, um, but I learned that the people are kind and friendly. That Mexico is a safe place for women. I would not hesitate to recommend the places that I went to. For any woman that wants to travel solo or with other women or with a family. Let's talk about that traveling solo part. I mean, I think that's a scary thing for a lot of women to jump into because there are a lot of fears. I mean, even just eating alone can cause anxiety for some people. So how do you, you know, you have a massive community of people. I know you do. So how do you help ease people into that solo travel if they're just starting? Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because that's very often the first thing women will say is, how do I eat alone in a restaurant? And, um, and you know, there we have lots of articles on our site about that. But, you know, you can choose to sit at the bar area. You have to, you know, you kind of have to ask for the right table. You have to have the confidence to go into a restaurant, be by yourself, bring a book, whatever. But the other way that you can, I think, learn to travel uh, solo is by connecting with women as you travel solo. So even if you're on your own, you can arrange to meet people who might live in uh, Kawaka, for example. You can do a group tour, which I did as well. Um, and I had some wonderful friendships created through that. So there are lots of ways that you can, you can still connect with other women, but still keep your independence as a solo traveler. And that's really the power and beauty of Journey Woman, isn't it? Is that you're pulling in these women from all over the world and you've just got this massive community. Uh, is there anywhere you can go that you wouldn't find a Journey Woman? <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because we're in the process of setting meetups, uh, setting up meetups all around the world right now. So we've had a few in Toronto. We've had uh, some in uh, Edmonton, California. I'm working on New York right now. I've had emails from women that want to have meetups in Belgium and France and other parts of the world. So I'm just kind of waiting for summer. You know, I think there's a lot of people traveling right now. And so we'll probably start those up again in the fall. But um, uh, and we also have this incredible uh, Solo Travel Wisdom Facebook group, which is a private group where women can ask questions. And that's really active as well. And it's a great place to get firsthand advice. Uh, instead of reading those headlines like we talked about and, and finding women that live in those uh, live in those places. You know, when I went to San Miguel, I connected with um, five or six Journey Woman readers who live there. And that was, you know, what better resource do you have than, than women who are living there solo? So, I mean, obviously you're jetting about like nothing's going on right now. So you must have tips for surviving air travel. 
uh, any anything you would like to share with listeners? Yeah, I'm afraid it's not the you know travel is tricky. It, let's face it, it was never great before. Now it's worse. Although I will say, last summer when I went to Spain, I quite enjoyed being on empty planes and empty airports. Now it's a different different scenario, and I've probably been on about 35 flights over the last year, um, and that includes connecting flights and little planes and all kinds of things. But I think um, I think there's a few things I've learned. One is um, the importance of uh, having the right mindset when you travel. So. We talk about packing your patience, which is really important. That also means being respectful, understanding that, you know, the tourism industry has gone through significant, significant downsizes. There just aren't enough people to do the jobs. So that automatically means things are going to take longer. The worst thing you can see in an airport is somebody losing their cool, right? It's just like, it is such a proud privilege for us to travel at all. So let's remember that. And these people are working hard. I think it's going to take quite a while for the travel industry to recover and have the right people. And I wish that wasn't the case, but it just is what it is. Um, so I think mindset's really important. Knowing that you need more time when you get to the airport, knowing that you need more time between connecting flights because it's getting harder and harder to have direct flights anymore. And also packing as light as you can because so many of the horror stories I hear are about lost luggage or waiting for luggage or something related to luggage. So uh, I was in Mexico three months with a backpack, you know, like one I could carry on with me. It can be done packing cubes, you know, like we just have to, you know, plan things a little bit better and, um, and be careful, you know, about what we bring with us. And, um, you know, we can wear the same thing every week. We do it at home, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And patience doesn't take up any room in your carry-on. So definitely pack that first. Uh, Carolyn, I'm sure you have all kinds of tips available for anybody looking for them. So where can they find out more? Well, we've got a whole tip section on journeywoman.com and lots and lots of tips there on everything from packing to um, accommodations to travel. And if women want to take that first step, but they don't want to do it on their own, we also have a women's travel directory that has tours and retreats and places that are women friendly uh, for women to take that first step and, and try a solo trip. Okay, incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Candace. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. We're all trapped in a wasteful convenience-based cycle, but my next guest offers an alternative, an approach to reducing waste that emphasizes progress over perfection. Tara McKenna is passionate about sustainability and created the Zero Waste Collective Lifestyle blog and community to inspire people from all walks of life to live with less waste and more joy. In her new book, Don't Be Trashy, Tara, Tara walks you through a year of reducing your waste month by month, including a no-buy month, an outfit repeater month devoted to developing a sustainable capsule wardrobe, and a month devoted to decluttering and minimalism at home. She joins me now to discuss. Welcome to What She Said, Tara. 
Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I, I read your book. Thank you so much for sending me an advanced copy. And I was delighted to read how non-judgmental you are. You don't wag your finger at anybody in this book. It's strictly informational. Uh, absolutely loved it. So thank you so much. Um, tell me what prompted you, though, to get into this lifestyle. Was there a trigger moment where you said, oh, I got to stop? Yes, yes, there definitely was a trigger moment. But I'll tell you, I didn't automatically go into a zero waste, you know, lifestyle from that trigger moment. But, you know, a number of years ago, I was snorkeling in Bali, which is a beautiful island in Indonesia, in Southeast Asia. I was there for a family holiday. And as soon as I, you know, went under the water while I was snorkeling, I saw a lot of trash intermingling with the fish. And it was just a really devastating moment to think about how impactful that was, right? We, you know, as humans are impacting the planet and you don't have to go to Bali to see this. You can see this right in our own backyard. You can go hike in our neighborhoods, you know, just outside of the cities and, and trash is a problem here too. It's, it's worldwide, right? So it just gave me this moment of reflection of like, okay, I want, you know, a planet where we aren't having such a negative impact on the natural world. And in your book, you talk about the three R's, but you also bring in five others. So there's sort of eight R's that you would like us to focus on, but they make sense. So can you just run through them for me? Like, let's start, we all know reduce, reuse, recycle, but let's focus on the additionals. I like the one that's called rot because composting is such an important way to reduce the amount of, you know, food waste we're sending to landfill. So if we can get it out of the landfill completely, composting is really, really important, but also to refuse. So what me it means to refuse is to kind of say no to the incoming stuff. And it, it, I feel like this one's really connected to minimalism. But for example, I have a, a no junk mail sign above my mailbox. So that way, because really, I would literally take my junk mail and put it right into my recycling bin. So I'm kind of skipping that altogether. So refusing stuff that you don't need, and that might also include freebies as well but also to repair. And repairing is really important because a lot of the times these days, things break and we're just throwing them away. So if we can find opportunities to repair the things that we already have, then that's great. And similarly, repurpose gives a new life to something that maybe no longer is useful. And, you know, I think about my mother-in-law because she is, you know, really great at sewing really great things. And she took down some old curtains that she no longer wants to use. And she's repurposing those into other items um, and sewing them into like, you know, a quilt, for example. It's a great way to repurpose and keep, you know, upcycle essentially. And then rethink. And rethinking is really about kind of looking at the bigger picture of all of these R's and being like, okay, well, how can we do this in a way that will build new, less trashy habits? Yeah. And and I love that you you make it so relatable and that you're not saying, listen, you can't have a aesthetically pleasing Instagram life uh, because you're, you know, using conscious consumption. You can still have all that. You just have to think a little bit more about those things, right? Exactly. Yeah. I certainly don't want to, you know, tell people how to live their lives. Like, you know, choose what works for you in your life. And, and with my book, it, you know, it's meant to be a practical guide Take what works for you and leave the rest. And there's one example that I really, really love is that I, I don't know about you, but a lot of people always forget their reusable bags, right? And so 
if if you're that person who no matter what you do, you never remember your reusable bag, well, maybe that change or that, you know, lifestyle choice is not for you. But could you do something else that would work for you? For example, you know, we've got fast fashion these days. Could you instead of, you know, being on that consumption treadmill of like clothing, 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 you know, buying a new piece every, you know, other day or every week, maybe the reusable bag is not a big issue for you, but you could definitely reduce your clothing consumption. So it's a balance of what works for you and no pressure with the rest, right? Exactly. And 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 it's just I, I what I loved about the book was that there's so much in it that it's it's easy to walk away with small actionable steps that that we can all take. Um, so I want people to be able to find the book, but I want them to also connect with you on all of your social channels and your website because obviously you're always sharing great information. So if you could tell people where to do that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So my blog is called The Zero Waste Collective and the website is simply thezerowastecollective.com. Um, I'm typically active on Instagram, so you can find me at zero.waste.collective and my more personal account is mindfully.tara. Um, and my book is available wherever books are sold and you can also check it out at the library too. Okay, you've been listening to Tara McKenna, uh, author of Don't Be Trashy, and we have recorded a longer 30-minute podcast that takes a deeper dive into ways you can uh, be less trashy. Uh, so be sure to check that out on what she said with Candace Sampson. Tara, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.